Gianna Delastra's logbook 27 days after touchdown. I may have let myself get carried away by the pleasantness of life on Earth. Valentine and Christopher have been taking me everywhere with them so that I can see as much as possible of Neopolis. It may have distracted me slightly from my overall research, but at least I'm taking some great notes on the everyday habits and activities of the Earthlings. For example, they cook with hydrogen gas a lot. It was strange for me to see the little blue flames dancing under the pots and pans. Back on Galley 1, fire has always been considered way too dangerous for our homes. The last time I saw fire was in a well-secured, highly controlled room at the university. Christopher and Valentine have a greenhouse in their apartment that's almost as big as my house on Mars. They grow fruits and vegetables from the seeds they're given by the city, or sometimes even from other foreign cities, depending on the season. This allows them to save H2 credits, which they put towards their yearly vacation to a city floating in the middle of the ocean. Apparently, they've seen wells there. I, I nodded and smiled when they told me to be polite, but I... I have no idea what kind of fish a whale is. I'll have to ask Ego. Christopher offered to take me along to work with him for a few days too. He's a doctor in one of Neopolis's hospital, and he wanted to tell me about the amazing medical progress that's been made over the past century and a half. From what I've seen, humanity focused one part of its research on neuroscience and degenerative diseases. And with an average lifespan that just kept on increasing, the quality of life of seniors became a high priority. So for Christopher, this is a huge success. The major diseases of the 19th century have been overcome, and they're now able to identify potentially cancerous cells before they become a health risk. I was surprised to see that Earthlings don't have links like we do on Mars. I was born there, so I'm a bit biased but I find it reassuring to always have ego with me and to be able to easily access information. Even when it comes to memory, it's so handy to be able to archive everything on servers, to access and relive good times at will, or to never forget an idea. According to Christopher, they considered it for a while, but the thought of installing a chip in the human brain was a bit too much for most people, so it never really took off. It's strange. I have the feeling that humans here speak to each other a lot more than we do on Mars. Maybe it's because of the links. Since most of our data exists in the shared stream that's accessible to all, we, I think that paradoxically, we end up not sharing much. For example, when I was little, the majority of my education was given at home, thanks to ego. She taught me the curriculum developed by the Martian Council, answered my questions, and adapted my education to my strengths and weaknesses. She's the one who led me towards being an anthropologist. It fed her algorithm, and today, Ego knows me better than anyone. On Earth, education is a much more subtle process.
I took Emily, Valentine and Christopher's daughter, to school for a week. From her classroom, there's a view of a big tree-filled park where you can occasionally spot funny, energetic little creatures leaping from trees to trees. Emily told me that they're called squirrels. On Mars, opening a window is unthinkable. All of our buildings have been built to withstand and protect us from the planet's hostile environment. They're hermetically sealed and equipped with emergency backup hydrogen generators in case of power outages. Whereas here, the Estrapi continuously provides energy for all the key infrastructure of the city. Hospitals, schools, greenhouses. Everything's so different. Even education. On Earth, it still happens collectively with one human teacher for a whole group of students. Communication and cooperation are essential to this process. The children who are stronger in one subject help the others and vice versa. Each student organically finds his or her place within the group without the need of an artificial intelligence to determine the best profession for each to pursue. Emily was proud to introduce me to the rest of the class, which doesn't come as a big surprise. I am an extraterrestrial after all. The kids asked me how we live on Mars and whether we each had a spaceship to get to the shopping centers on Jupiter's moons. They were so sweet and excited that I didn't have the heart to tell them that I hadn't left the bubbles much in my lifetime. So I may have stretched the truth just a bit. <laughs> the Earthlings don't have any sort of birth regulation program either. And going to this school made me wonder whether when I get back to Mars, my genetic heritage would be valuable enough to the colony. I wonder if I'll have a child one day. Maybe he or she would like to go to school like these children. I also attended a city assembly debate, which Valentine invited me to. Unlike the discussions amongst our council on Mars, the Neopolis assembly sessions are public. This sometimes leads to rather heated debates, but at least everyone gets to share their opinion. In this instance, they were discussing adjusting the taxes on products from members of the Fossil League which is what they call countries that haven't yet updated their energetic systems. I didn't dare interrupt Valentine to ask her too many questions, but she told me that the Neopolis Museum, which she mentioned the day I arrived, would have far more answers than she would. I think it's time I went and checked it out. I think I'll go later when I get back from walking the dog. Over. Don't forget to put together your report for Councilwoman Davenport. She hasn't been too happy with your silence over the past few days. Oh, yes, of course, Mary. Um, can you remind me when we get home? I give you full permission to not shut up about it until the report is ready and on its way. Over. With pleasure. You can count on me to be just as annoying as a briefing from Captain McWells.
Joanna DeLastra's logbook, 27 days after touchdown, continued. They call it the Great Transition Museum. How dramatic. Consider this your reminder to get that report for Councilwoman Davenport done. I'll do it after, Ego. So, hmm. Yes. The Great Transition Museum. From the outside, it's a rather curious-looking building as it mixes several different architectural styles. Made of stone, brick, and concrete, its space resembles an old construction from before the Great Departure. The higher you go, the more the materials evolve, intermingling and ending up at the top in a sort of a big flower made of steel and hydron glass, a material derived from hydrogen that's clear like glass but solid as iron. On the inside, 150, maybe even 200 or 250 years of history are gathered. The museum is there to keep track of humanity's decision and to make them accessible to all. The interior is vast, bright, and painted white. Well, except in the rooms where you can view old petrol and diesel engines, or the ones that are reconstructions of old factories. Those ones are painted gray or black, reminding visitors that past practices led to environmental and health issues. I felt better as I made my way through the exhibits. The museum is a place of both memory and of research, a bit like Curiosity University back on Galliwon. Except that I don't know many Martians who would want to spend their free time studying our archives. Spending time in the Great Transition Museum by myself felt good, and helped me recenter my focus on my investigation. On my way home, I wondered, how did we go from a dying Earth with millions of climate migrants and an imminent nuclear war to a network of cities like Neapolis? How does a technological gem like the Estrapi replace nuclear and coal-fired power plants? Great questions, Joe. Do you report for Councilwoman Davenport? I'll do it right after, I promise. In fact, the Great Transition really started with the first shuttles to Mars. There were some who doubted our ability to safely send humans so far when we weren't even capable of saving the planet Earth. But what happened after that? Well, it was all based on energy. At the time, fossil energies were quickly being depleted. It was only a matter of time before they ran out completely. Earthlings had no other choice but to rely on renewable energies. The problem with these was that their availability fluctuated a lot, and they didn't have the stability and flexibility of fossil fuels. So, they figured out how to stock renewable energy with the help of hydrogen, energy of the stars. Simply put, hydrogen can be found absolutely everywhere on Earth but combined with other elements like water, for example. To get hydrogen gas, the simplest route is simply to run an electric current through water. We call this electrolysis. But that electricity has to come from somewhere. That's where renewable energies come in. Instead of using oil or coal like they did before, Earthlings use their solar, wind, or hydraulic energy surpluses to produce hydrogen. Just like we do on Mars with our solar panels, and exactly like Neopolis's Astrapi Tower. And since hydrogen can also store energy, 
they can continuously store and use their renewable energy. And that's not all. Earthlings use hydrogen to power their cars via fuel cells, to heat their homes, and as a raw material in manufacturing, all this without creating any pollution. And that's how the tiniest, lightest molecule in the universe allowed humans to significantly reduce their production of greenhouse gases and stop the climatic catastrophe that was happening. It's crazy that such a minuscule thing could change the destiny of a whole planet. And yet, <laughs> it's almost like a fairy tale. Once upon a time, Joanna de Lastra finally decided to write her report for Councilwoman Davenport. Okay, okay, I get it, Ego. I I'm just wrapping up. In short, the Great Transition Museum puts a heavy emphasis on hydrogen since it's only by turning to this type of energy that they were able to develop their new sustainable energy model. All the old great geographic powers who held the world's supply of fossil fuels lost their supremacy. This alone launched a redistribution of wealth on a global scale that had never been seen before. Energy became so simple to produce that humanity was finally able to make it available to everyone, everywhere, and turn their attention to other matters. For example, water became accessible to every human being on the planet, and therefore, arable land that had previously been unusable due to a lack of irrigation became viable again. Of course, not all nations are completely aligned. There are still a few countries that persist in the practices that brought Earth to the brink of climatic ruin. People here collectively call these countries the Fossil League, not only because its members always use these kinds of energies, but also because they favor an archaic social model. According to the museum, a few of these states have even built big walls at their borders to keep their populations from leaving. Their civilizations are on the decline. Only a few decades, at most. And it's a safe bet that they'll disappear or evolve towards the same model as Neopolis. <sighs> and that's everything I found out at the museum. Over. Great. Now, do your report. Let me breathe, Ego. I have a tension headache. I think I need to move a bit. What? Again? No, Joe. You're not getting out of this. Ugh, Ego! Ego, I'm withdrawing your right to use such oppressive reminders. Just, just leave me alone until I get back. <sighs> That's a low blow. Joanna de Lastra's logbook, 27 days after touchdown, continued. Valentine just told me something really strange while we were walking the dog. As we walked, I couldn't shake the feeling that I'd missed something when I was at the museum, but I couldn't figure out what. Then suddenly it hit me. The great departure. On Mars, this is a seminal moment of our history. But on Earth, I don't think I saw it mentioned anywhere. So I told Valentine how we were taught on Mars that the last vessels to have left the planet received some alarming transmissions from Earth. We all thought that a war or an unprecedented climate catastrophe had decimated humanity as we knew it. 
All communications from Earth went dark. That's why we were so surprised when 150 years later we arrived on Earth. Valentine gave me a strange look. She told me that it was Mars that had cut communications. That the computers of those on Earth in contact with the vessels of the Great Departure went haywire for several long minutes before the shuttles disappeared from the radars. They thought the colonizers were dead, that they had collided with debris or hit an asteroid on their way out. So from the Earthlings' perspective, our Great Departure was a failure. Proof that there was no salvation to be found in space and that their only option was to act to save the planet. But if that's the case, if what Valentine tells me is true, and that it's Mars that cut communications with Earth, it means that the Martian Council has been lying to us from the start. But why? What was the point of cutting contact with the Earth when they were planning to go back to Earth all along? I'm so lost. I don't know if I should, but I think I'm going to put it in my report to Mary tonight. In any case, apart from her, I don't see who might have an answer for me. <sighs> I feel strangely heavy. And for once, it's not the gravity on this planet weighing me down. It's the not knowing. The more I learn, the more I'm convinced that a terrible secret is hiding somewhere in all this. Over. Ego, your vitals are telling me that you're worried, Joe. What's going on? Can you promise me that everything I tell you stays between you and I? I promise. The data from our conversations is strictly confidential. No one has access to the memory associated with your link without your authorization. Okay. <sighs> I send my report to Mary. I told her what I've learned. What Valentine had told me about the Great Departure. I asked her if we could send a message to Mars from the ship to ask for an explanation. And she replied that contacting Mars was out of the question right now. Ego, don't you realize? Nobody back home knows what's happened on Earth. Nobody knows that there are humans here. That life is still possible. That it's so much better than anything we've ever experienced on Mars. But why would the Martian Council want to do that? Keep that from them. I have no idea. But I really don't like this. I'm receiving a transmission from Councilwoman Davenport. Shit. What does she want? Your permission is over. She requests that you go join the rest of the crew immediately. What? She can't do this to me? Not now. I'm sorry, Joe. What have I discovered? <sighs>